Hey friends, this is Pastor Eric Sorensen, Associate Pastor at uh, Hillside Church in Roxbury, New Jersey. Husband to Missy, father to Jude, John, and Lincoln. Contributor to Christ Hold Fast, co-host of 30 Minutes in the New Testament, and other things that don't need mention right now. We are here today for another edition of our Law and Gospel devotional, in which we are not only looking at a passage of Scripture to understand its meaning, but also to see where God's two words are in that passage, both law and and gospel. Now, usually what we've done is take the Old Testament lectionary text for the upcoming Sunday, and we'll do that again today, uh, but that isn't always where we'll be. We'll, we'll switch it around from time to time and just take various passages to, to see, indeed, where God's two words are. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into Isaiah chapter 40, and we're going to be looking today in our Law Gospel devotional uh, and really the theme of comfort for exiles. And you'll notice in the screen here that I have a picture of a refugee camp. And that's probably the closest thing that we can think of to what it would mean to be an exile, especially in the ancient world, where you're talking about usually being dragged off from your home and forced to live in a foreign land, usually under very difficult and stressful uh, situations. That was certainly what was happening at the time of Isaiah's writing to the nation of Israel, to the northern kingdom, and indeed was going to happen in the southern kingdom. As a matter of fact, that's really the context of our passage today. In Isaiah 39, verses 5 through 8, Isaiah prophesies to the, the king of the southern kingdom in Judah at the time, in the 8th century, Hezekiah, that one day in the not-so-distant future, I mean, it's, you know, not not too much longer, it happens in the 6th century, that his own kingdom, long after he's dead, but when his descendants are on the throne, uh, are going to go into exile themselves, uh, not under Assyria like the northern kingdom, but under Babylon. And so uh, one might expect, being that so many of the prophecies from this point on really focus on uh, Babylon and the Babylonian exile to come in the future, that we would be, well, that we would get a lot of doom and gloom from Isaiah as uh, he talks about their impending uh, uh, exile coming in within a couple hundred years. In fact, Isaiah 40 really switches the tone on us entirely and sort of surprises us with the very next words of chapter 40 not being filled with gloom, but in fact being filled with hope. Indeed, Right from the beginning, there's a pronouncement of forgiveness found in Isaiah 40. Well, look at verses 1, 1 and 2 with me. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, the double there in the context is not saying she's received double the punishment, no, that she's received double the comfort. Indeed, that's why comfort is mentioned twice. And why the comfort? Because the iniquity that God's people have committed in Judah are said to have been pardoned. Now, I love the idea of pardon. I love the idea of, of not having to uh, pay the debt that you owe for crimes committed. We understand that language in, in our time. We Indeed, our president is given the right to pardon someone, usually towards the end of their term, uh, towards the end of their time in office. They go through a whole slew of pardons. 
And the idea being that, um, and we might not always agree with those who are pardoned, by the way, but the idea being that, that somebody can indeed be, have the slate, slate wiped clean for them. But, but here, it's more than just having the slate wiped clean because we do have this announcement that, that God's people are going to receive double for their sins. And in other words, they're going to be treated as if they're entirely righteous, as if they are imputed with righteousness. Indeed, this is a big theme in the New Testament of being imputed with the righteousness of Christ in uh, exchange for one sin. But of course, when, whenever I hear double, um, I can't help but think of the glorious good news of the double-double from in and out of which you have pictured here to get your mouth watering right off in the morning here. But the idea being is that God from the very beginning, even as the people will go into exile, are given a pronouncement of good news, a pronouncement of forgiveness. But they're not just given that, they're also told, well, basically how to prepare for that forgiveness. Look at verses three through five. It says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places uh, a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. No doubt, if you have been in church for any length of time, especially during Advent season, you have heard this passage quoted. And the reason for that, of course, is because this passage is really uh, a prophecy that's referenced in regard to John the Baptist. And what is John the Baptist always doing? Well, as depicted here in the, the great Grunewald, uh, Grunewald uh, woodcut of Christ and his crucifixion, John the Baptist is standing off to the side pointing to Jesus. Indeed, that's why he was sent. He is the one called to go out into the wilderness to prepare the people to repent as forgiveness is on its way. Indeed, if you listen to John's message, it's kind of sort of constantly repent, 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 and he's no respecter of persons. He calls everybody who comes to him to repent, and that is, that is indeed what all people are called to do to prepare for forgiveness, to, to turn from the path they're on and turn to Christ for forgiveness, turn back to God. So, so that's the second thing that we see in the text. First, we have this, um, this pronouncement of forgiveness. Then we have what will need to be done to prepare for, for uh, forgiveness as God will send out his messenger to proclaim this word of repentance. And then you have, of course, the promise of forgiveness. And really, you could say even a pledge of forgiveness from Isaiah in verses 6 through 8. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. As Isaiah proclaims these uh, glad tidings, these, this good news to the people of Judah as they are going to go into exile, he wants them basically to make sure they set their focus on the right thing. He doesn't want them to set their hope of forgiveness on that which 
comes from uh, the flesh, that which comes from mere humanity. And why? Because the flowers fade, the grass withers. We all know this. If we've ever uh, bought our sweetheart a bouquet of flowers, you know that the first or second day, maybe even a few days later, it looks really nice, but it doesn't take long before things start to die. In contrast to that, Isaiah wants to point his people to what actually lasts forever, and that is the word of forgiveness. Of course, whenever I hear the word forever, I can't help but think of that famous scene from the movie The Sandlot, in which we hear that term emphasized dramatically, forever. Now, in that context there, that is not good news. In our context, in the people of Judah's context, that's great news, because the word of God is something that we can depend on, no matter how much the word of man is fleeting and, and really unable to accomplish all that it wishes, the word of God stands forever, and it is what this promise of forgiveness is built upon. And now, finally, we look at the power behind forgiveness in Isaiah's passage, and it reads like this, go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God, behold the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young. If the promise of forgiveness is rock solid because it's built on the word of God, the power behind forgiveness is even uh, just as rock solid because it is literally the Lord of heaven and earth that is accomplishing all that needs to be done. And that's why Isaiah says, fear not, shout it from the rooftops, get on the largest megaphone you can, Isaiah, and proclaim this to everyone. Prophets proclaim this to everyone, that God is coming and he's coming as a rescuer to his people, Judah. So incredible good news in the passage, and yet, our job here is to look at both law and gospel in the passage. Now, for review, what do we have as the word of law in scripture? Well, a few things that we said as we defined these a couple of weeks ago is that the word of law is, of course, most obviously those words that command us to do something or not do something. But it's not just that. It's also words within scripture that basically condemn us for doing something or not doing something the way we should. You also have depictions of penalties for failing to do as we should, that is considered the word of law. And then you also have, even if it's not necessarily directly tied to a specific sinful action, even just descriptions of what life is like in our fallen condition can be seen as words of law throughout all of Scripture. So what kinds of law do we find in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11 that we just read? Well, there's actually many spots. As much good news as there is in this passage, we, we, do say, we do see that people are said to be filled with iniquity and as a result have been exiled. Uh, we, we do see people being called upon to repent, which is obviously an implicit acknowledgement of the people's problem. And then you see the very fact that all flesh is like grass and that we fade like flowers 
is a picture of the broken state that we all live in as a result of being in a flawed and fallen world. And so the law is there in Isaiah. We are reminded of our frailty and our failure in this passage. And yet, of course, there is, even though we are definitely guilty, there is the word of gospel. And that floods this entire passage. Now, of course, gospel means good news. It's a declaration of what God has done for us. And that those two little words, for us, are so, so, so important. It is promises of what God will do for us, often in spite of us, ultimately fulfilled by Christ. Now, where do we find the gospel in Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11? Well, in spite, of our, in spite of sin, the people of Judah will be pardoned. That's a great word of promise, a great word of gospel. In spite of exile, the people of Judah will be brought home. And in spite of fading like grass, in spite of being so temporal, but a vapor, but a mist, the author of Ecclesiastes says our life is, because we are given the word of promise, his people Judah will yet live. So wonderful, wonderful gospel promises that can lead us to exclaim with the Dr. Martin Luther King here, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, free at last, or at least certainly the people of Judah could as they heard this word of good news shared with them. And yet there is, of course, application for you in all of this. And here's why. In the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, references this very passage in Isaiah. And in the surrounding verses, he refers to God's people then and even now, those who are Christians, as still being like exiles. You can find that in 1 Peter 1, verse 1. He actually addresses them as exiles. You can find it in 117, and you can find it in chapter 2, verse 11. It's not un uncommon language for Peter to use describing the state of the Christian as they live in the world. And so there is a sense that we're never really at home. We're, there's a sense in which we're always kind of like the kid in the back of the car. And as a father of three children who's done a few road trips around this country, let me tell you, I know what this is like. We're like those who are constantly asking, are we there yet? Is, is it time yet? Are, are, are we almost home? There's a sense in which we're never quite at home. Even, even nostalgia, that home longing, that homesickness that all of us have, even if we get the chance to go back to something that we remember a certain way, when we get there, we realize it's not quite the way we had remembered it. And that's because everything here is fleeting. Our home is not here. We're made for a true and better home. And so because we have received this word of pardon based on what Christ has done in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, we are now sheep in the hands of a good shepherd who promises to bring us home as well. That's the great application of this, that, that one day, just as Judah was promised that they would be delivered home, we are promised to be delivered to our true and better home. There will be a day in which we can say that we have actually made it to the final destination, that we are no longer exiles, but that we are sheep in the hands of our good shepherd in our true and better pasture. And so why does this matter for you? 
Well, folks, I'm not telling any tales out of school here when I say you will have seasons in which you really feel the effect of being separated from your true and better home. You'll have sickness. You'll have bouts with bad health. You'll have family strife. You'll have difficulties that come your way. You'll have jobs that don't go the way you want. You'll have dreams that don't end up the way you had hoped. And you're going to feel at times like that, man, you're going to have moments where you go, I, I just, I just want, want a better world. I want things to be better. <laughs> well, that's your longing for home. That's you recognizing that you right now are still in exile. And not to mention, you will continue to struggle with ongoing sin and doubt. So it won't just be the, the things out there that get you down, but it will be just your own failures, your own shortcomings that will remind you that you're still in exile. And passages like this strengthen us on the path as we remember that in spite of our sin, in spite of our frailty, God in Christ has pardoned us. And he's declared to us that we are his, that he is coming again, and that when he comes, he will not come with wrath for us. No, because he's pardoned us, he will give us double for all our sins, double the comfort, double the blessing, and an immensely amazing home that we get to live in forever. That's why this matters. In the midst of the dark times, folks, these are the words that will get you through it. These are the words that will fill you with hope. And so I hope that does indeed inspire you and fill you with hope as we have reached the conclusion of our long gospel devotional. I hope you've been blessed by our time today in this word, and I pray that you would be... <clears throat> Uh, you would have a wonderful rest of your day. God bless you.